It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with the latest news and opinion from the top flights of the English game. Hit subscribe or follow now wherever you get your podcasts and that way you'll never miss an episode. On today's show, Britain may have been blasted by bad weather, but is the storm at Manchester United set to come to an end against Fulham this weekend? Ten Hag is on thin ice according to one report, but it's Aussie sunshine for Spurs as Postacoglu's side are firmly title contenders, says enemy general Mikel Arteta on a weekend when Tottenham come face-to-face with their ex-manager Maurizio. It's the penultimate Premier League game week before yet another international break, but Joel Tudor has already had his continental excursion. Good morning, Joel. Good morning. (laughs) And contrary to some strange opinion in the Telegram group, Marley Anderson and I are still alive. Morning, Marley. Good morning. Right, Marley, we didn't give you the chance on Monday because Joel wasn't here and I know you wanted to wait till he was back. And yesterday we were too busy getting stuck into him about Manchester United's dreadful form at the moment. So come on, indulge us. A goal, an actual goal at Sunday League at the weekend. Damn right I did. Yeah, I got a header. Um, I thought, oh, Joel, I love that. And then I thought, oh, no, he's in Spain and he'll probably find a way to to still (laughs) throw mud at me. No, it was not a good header. It was actually a very good header. Uh, I'll post a video in the group later, but yeah, like a ball went over the top and our winger got in behind and just blatantly fouled their left back. <laughs> That's already a dodgy kind of goal, I'm hearing. <laughs> As he pushed the left back out of the way, he had a shot um, and he completely sliced it and it went all the way across the face of goal, but like rapid, um, you know, proper smacked it and it just came like perfectly right on my forehead. So it was like, bang, headed it in, 1-0. 
and uh, and we won two 0 So, how many inches away from the goal line were you? I think I was on the edge of the six, six yard box. So about six yards. Did you have to do a bit of a Ronaldo leap, leap over someone, or were you just completely uncontested? No, I'd I'd ran off their right back who was lazy, so I just moved <laughs> moved off him, and and that was it. Joel, their right back was appealing for the most blatant foul you've ever seen. Nope. <laughs> That's why he didn't track Marley because he was too busy complaining. <laughs> most at the people ref. stopped, and I just thought. I'm for a penny and for a pound. I might score an easy goal here. So, yeah, that's uh, that's how it happened. So, two in the last two now. I played six aside last night. I got absolutely smashed. We win in 3-1 and at the end of the game, ball goes down the line and I go up for a header. But my teammates didn't think to shout man on. So I get absolutely blindsided by their centre-back. Jump up for the header and he goes straight through the back of me. You know what Harry Kane used to do in the Premier League when someone would jump up and he'd kind of take their legs from underneath? And they'd fall in a heap on the ground. Well, that happened to me. Yeah. I got absolutely poleaxed. I was like in midair. Like, I had no idea where I was. And then as soon as I hit the ground, I was like, oh, that's going to be sore this morning. And it is. It's absolutely clattered. But you were absolutely drenched yesterday, weren't you, as well? There was a storm really brewing outside. I was meant to be called up for mine, but I was like, guys, just not tonight. <laughs> just let's do it next week instead. Fair weather player. <laughs> yeah, Joel 100%. Shooter. I'm a seasonal person. <laughs> he's ordered some gloves off the uh, off the internet so he can run around in gloves and, and a smooth uh, underarm yeah. welcome to football social daily if you've never listened to the podcast before thanks for joining us this is where we talk about premier league football generally and not marley's sunday league exploits but we have had some pretty cool guests on the show in the past so if you're interested in listening to the thoughts of someone like pascal chimbonda who was on the bench for the world cup final believe it or not when zidane landed that headbutt on Matarazzi, he told us his view of that situation. He literally had the best seat in the house in that World Cup final in 2006. Just search for Pascal Chimbonda on the Football Social Daily feed and you'll be able to find it. Loads of other interviews as well. Trevor Stephen was on the pitch when Maradona scored the hand of God against England. And just two days ago, Match of the Day commentator Jonathan Pierce, who of course we remember quite fondly from his days commentating on Robot Wars, was a guest on the show. So just scroll back in the timeline and you'll be able to find it. But let's crack on with looking ahead to the weekend's Premier League fixtures. We don't normally do a podcast on a Friday, but we thought it would be quite interesting this week because Manchester United did the early kickoff, half 12 against Fulham. And they've dominated not just this podcast, but the entire Premier League news agenda, Joel, because of how bad they've been. I said to you a couple of days ago, Fulham away on a Saturday lunchtime. I don't think many teams fear going to Craven Cottage. All of the factors are there, aren't they? Away from home, where Manchester United have been poor. Early kickoff, where there's no guarantee of how the players will perform. And of course, off the back of some dreadful results. It's it, it's kind of got all the ingredients. It is literally the perfect storm. The perfect scenario for Fulham to try and get three points. I mean... Any team playing United at the moment, let alone a half twelve kickoff. I mean, those games. I remember when Jurgen Klopp used to kick off every time Liverpool had to play well, still a, a half twelve game. Yeah, still does. I don't think he ever will stop. But on this occasion, with the circumstances going the way they are at the moment, for Fulham to play United is just the perfect timing. Like you could not choose a better situation for them to get back on track. And I think with the fact that United have only won eight games in 15 this season, it just shows just how poor and just how vulnerable the team is. But when you look at, for example, the t- the, the games that are actually coming up for United, you've got obviously Fulham and Copenhagen, which is a huge game in the Champions League. And then you've got Luton at home. Even though on paper they look incredibly easy, I want to say, well, I want to say relatively easy, 
at this point in time, I'm genuinely not confident for any of those games at all. And that's purely because obviously the injury situation is getting ridiculous. The form of the players is also absolutely poor. You're seeing rumours now of United potentially looking at different managers. I mean, it, it almost feels like, I don't want to say the beginning of the end, but you know when things start to untether and all these bad rumours and all the kind of negativity starts to stem from the club which has done for a, a number of years now I just hope that we can just get back on track because I, I cannot begin to think if we lose this game I don't believe anything will happen to Ten Hag but I mean it is purely going downhill isn't it there's it doesn't seem to be letting up and the fact that we've got to go to Copenhagen where if we don't win that game we're pretty much out of the Champions League in the next six days we could see absolutely intense pressure on Ten Hag because that would literally spell well, only been able to go in the FA Cup pretty much to win something, which is dismal at this stage of the season. We mentioned, didn't we, earlier this week on the podcast, Marley, about the five wins that Manchester United have had, who they've come against and the manner in which they've come. And if you look at where Fulham are in the table, they're 14th on 12 points. Also on 12 points are Wolves. And Manchester United need some real luck at the start of the season to get past them. Burnley and Sheffield United, the two bottom clubs in the Premier League, they needed a wonder goal from Fernandes to beat Burnley and Sheffield United was a real battle. When you look at the teams that are below Fulham that United have struggled against recently, it's not going to be as easy as it suggests on paper. No, I don't think um, any game's easy for Man United right now. You can't... I mean, things are, are that bad right now that you wouldn't back them to win too many games. Uh, Fulham are... And not, they're not a tough side, but you've got to, you know, you've got to do well to beat them. Basically, you know, they haven't got many goals in the team, but they're not as bad as you know, um, you know, they're, they're not going to be in trouble really relegation wise. I wouldn't think, unless something crazy happens. But they've got potential. They've got players that can hurt you. Like Williams having a, a good couple of seasons. I thought he was done. To be fair. Um, they've got some star players in the team like Paulinha. I don't think there's a better defensive midfielder in the league than João Paulinha. Um, he'll love it against Man United's midfield that's lacking confidence. He'll eat them up. Like if anyone comes in in that area and tries tries any fancy stuff, he's going through him. <laughs> Anthony, if he does his little pirouette on the uh, on the pitch, you know he's getting slide tackled by someone like João Paulinha who's who's there to to do what he does. And I think um, this could be a really tricky one for Man U and. If it doesn't, um, if they don't get away with a win, uh, well, the heat will turn up even more because then it's Copenhagen in the week and they've got to win that. Otherwise, they're practically out of the Champions League, um, and then everything will go to like Defcon Four, and you know it'll be full on meltdown, and people start linking Solskjaer with the job again, and Mourinho and Zidane and all these, all these uh, names that that number one won't get the job and number two won't solve the problems that that are at the club well actually it's funny you say that because it is quite disrespectful to talk about who could potentially replace a manager when one's still in a job but the newspapers are reporting it so it's open for us to talk about it Joel and that is that Zinedine Zidane has yet again been linked with the Manchester United job some people say that he's in the frame other people say that he won't touch Manchester United with a 10-foot barge pole because of the way the club is run the other is uh, Ruben Amarim, the sporting coach, who was also linked with Premier League jobs in recent times. So in terms of Eric Ten Hag's future and the names that are being linked already to the job that he still holds, 
What do you make of it all? Yeah, I'm sorry, but those reports are just very convenient and easy at this point in time. If the pressure wasn't as intense, obviously nothing would ever come of this kind of situation. But it's just, it's ludicrous in the fact that those two managers play such different football to each other and they play such different football to Ten Hag. You can clearly see that there's no real claim in any of them. I know that The Athletic came out yesterday and said that United have categorically denied that there's any truth in those stories. So I can imagine it's purely just the media basically jumping on the bandwagon to try and generate a little bit of the rumour mill. But until there's any change in, for example, Jim Radcliffe's 25% offer and until there's a massive change upstairs in terms of... Do you think that will make a difference though? Do you think Jim Radcliffe's 25% will make a difference at this point. If they tomorrow announce that Jim Ratcliffe has completed a takeover for 25% of the club and he's taken charge of football operations, would that make any difference to the games against Fulham and Copenhagen? I personally can't see it. It it wouldn't have an immediate impact, no, but if it's going like the way they're saying it's going to go, which is that he'll have full control over the sporting department and the sporting director and they'll have their own CEO pretty much leading the club, But does then that undermine Ten Hag, who asked for control of the club? He asked for control of transfers. They've given him a degree of control in terms of signing the players that he wants. For instance, Anthony for 80 million and Tyrell Malassia and Andre Onana and some of these other players. If Ratcliffe comes in and brings in a sporting director, which is absolutely, I agree, I think what Manchester United need is is a restructure in the footballing side of the club. Does that not completely undermine what Ten Hag has asked for? So straight away, you've got disharmony. I don't think so. I think he only asked that on the premise that he knew that United upstairs were an absolute catastrophe and he probably thought, I need to take it within my power to actually steer this ship in a certain direction. Why did he ask to get rid of Rangnick then? I think United were done with Rangnick after he made all those comments. He pretty much sealed his own coffin when he mentioned that United need open heart surgery just before he left. Um, But let's not forget (laughs) as well, um, at Ajax, Ten Hag worked very closely with Mark Overmars. And he had a very simple structure. I know Mark Overmars isn't the most thought of, but in terms of a footballing point of view, that was the system that they had, which is that Mark Overmars would work pretty much on behalf of Ten Hag to bring in the players. I think Mm. if United were run well, Ten Hag would have come in and said, "Okay, now that we know you've got a good structure in place, you tell I'm going to tell you the style that I want. And then you go and get those players that I need to fit that style. But I think if Jim Radcliffe comes in and changes all that aspect... It'll be a good thing, I think, for Ten Hag because I'm pretty sure he's realised in the last two transfer windows that it is difficult to work with the hierarchy at United. We saw it in his first transfer window when they were scouring round, trying to get Casemiro quickly, uh, chasing Frankie Diong all summer when it was never going to happen, ending up with Wout Weghorst. I mean, that's not a well-run club, is it? It's ridiculous that he even got to that stage, and I think he realises that now. So I think it would be anything but negative if we can change the sporting area of the club. But again, how long is that going to take? I mean, to ratify a deal of that, magnitude and and that kind of money it's going to take months and I still think they're negotiating it as we speak so I don't know how soon that's going to be and then let's say it gets to December time and we're in the same situation that let's say Chelsea were under Mourinho when they were in what 15th 14th are they still not going are they still going to just persevere and wait and wait and wait because it's almost kind of strange to me it feels hypocritical that the Glazers could go and sack Ten Hag when they know that they are one of the main parts of the problem so it's almost like a perpetual cycle of just failure, isn't it? It's almost like they don't have the right anymore because they know what the problem is and it's them. 
Well, Manchester United against Fulham kicks off the Premier League weekend, 12.30 on Saturday. And to close the Premier League weekend, it's Chelsea against Tottenham Hotspur. Maurizio Pochettino back up against his old club Spurs. But Postacoglu has got them ticking. They're top of the Premier League. Will that continue? We'll discuss it next on Football Social Daily. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back. This is FSD, an award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall. Marley and Joel are with me and we're done with Manchester United. Well, Joel's got to support them, so he can't exactly be done with them at the moment. We're not going to talk about them for the rest of the show because we're going to focus on the top end of the Premier League (laughs) Uh, as Tottenham take on Chelsea in the Monday night kickoff this week. And loads of cool narratives going into this game for a neutral Marley. Of course, Pochettino taking on Spurs for the first time since he left a few years ago is the big one, but also a chance for Tottenham to maintain their position at the top of the Premier League. They're currently two points clear and undefeated. So this should be exciting. It's the first time since he uh, he come up with that weird quote, didn't he? Where he was, uh, when he was Chelsea manager and he said, you know, that I'm, I'm all for Chelsea and 100% Chelsea are the the best team in the world and it sort of rubbed Spurs fans up the wrong way and I think it made the it made them think right well screw you then I think he would have got a good reception had he not said stuff like that or as well as can be expected for a you know a guy going from Spurs to Chelsea but on the pitch it shouldn't be shouldn't be that much of a contest really I think Chelsea have shown signs in recent weeks of of improving and then capitulated against Brentford and showed that they are still a work in progress. I think Brentford are a decent team, but you expect Chelsea to win um, at home against Brentford. 
and uh, they they got nowhere near them in that game really no threat and then the calamity of sending Robert Sanchez up for for the corner at the end and getting caught out and conceding a goal at the other end so on the pitch this should be an easy win for Spurs but it's the whole derby complex when you put that into it what can that sort of do is it a leveler but Spurs are Spurs are flying and you know fair play to them for doing that because it wasn't an easy job under under Ange yeah and fair play to Postacoglu as well for the way he's dealt with the media, Joel, and not bought into this title contenders narrative, which is something Mikel Arteta's actually tried to do by calling Spurs title contenders the Arsenal manager, I guess, trying to pile the pressure on. But I wonder whether he does see Spurs as a genuine threat, because what Postacoglu was saying in his press conference yesterday, he said, having a squad of 24 world-class players just doesn't really work in the modern game. I mean, you want as many top players as you can have. But also you need people who are willing to sit on the bench one week and then give you everything the next week. And I think that's what we're seeing from Spurs under Postacoglu. Even the players that aren't playing as many minutes as they would like, when they're coming on, they're making an impact and they're performing. And he seems to be the only Spurs manager in the last, what, well, every manager since Pochettino that's been able to do that. Because every single, well, when you look at, for example, Conte and Mourinho, when they were there, sure, when they first began, especially Mourinho, I remember when he first arrived at Tottenham and they were top of the league in around October time. And everyone was thinking, wow, this is a huge revitalization of Mourinho and it looks like Spurs could be contenders. And then suddenly there just seems to be little cracks appearing here and there. And I just feel like for Pochettino as well, it's probably the worst time to go to Tottenham for his career. I don't mean because Tottenham are good at the moment, but it's because Spurs fans have probably completely forgot about him after this Ange charm that he's sprinkled all over the stadium. Because right now, they'll be thinking, this is the best manager we've had since Pochettino. And now, when he comes, there'll literally be no love lost. Because like uh, Marley just said as well, you know, the fact that when he joined Chelsea, he was talking about how Chelsea are the biggest club in in London, that kind of thing. And now they've suddenly got this charming Aussie who's saying all the right things and winning all the right games. And we're seeing it. Well, Big Ange said that as much as what Maurizio Pochettino did at Tottenham should be commended and applauded, he won't be getting a standing ovation. The, the fact remains, he didn't win anything. Because <laughs> he wants it, that's why. <laughs> you can't let emotion take over, can you? Bang on, you have to kind of rein in that kind of applaud. Because also, like you just said as well, he's not a guy who created some kind of dynasty at Spurs. I mean, he didn't win the Champions League and he didn't win all these trophies and he shouldn't come back as this guy who almost created Tottenham. Sure, I feel like he, he put them on a bit of a platform to then go on. He, he, he made them feel like a bit more of a bigger club. But now is the time for them to go to the next level. And I think for Spurs fans, like I said, it's no love lost. He did what he did at Spurs. Okay, they didn't win anything. He made them play incredible football. But now Ange has come in and he's almost like a reincarnation. But let's see what he can do to go to the next level. And so that's why I think if Pochettino came back when Mourinho or Conte was there, there'd almost be that kind of... You know, that tinge of regret and a little bit of grass is always greener kind of thing. Whereas now they are so happy with what they have that I think it's just the perfect scenario. Again, I think Postacoglu's called it absolutely perfectly, Mali, because Pochettino deserves respect, but he doesn't deserve to be lauded in the way that maybe some people are suggesting he will be on Monday night. I think for Spurs, it'll be purely business and actually touching upon what Postacoglu has been saying in his press conference again there was another quote which was when he was asked about the job Pochettino's doing at Chelsea and the money that Chelsea have spent over a billion pounds on players 
quite simply said, that's the sort of headache I don't want, mate. And actually, he's got a point because the way Tottenham have spent and the players they've brought in, like Madison and Van de Ven, have really emphasised the qualities that were clearly already there at Spurs, but weren't being brought out by the other managers. Yeah, and I think um, there's a lot of players at Spurs now that weren't there under under Pochettino. I think it's a very different, different looking squad. It's been a few years since um, since that team got to the Champions League final. It's been for, what, four years. You're probably just looking at um, Son, really, being there. Maybe Dyer, who doesn't play in the in this system. Lloris, who I have no idea what Hugo Lloris is doing these days. But he's not in any squads in the, in the Spurs team every week. So it's, uh, it's it's different, and I, th- I think it just sums up how Ange is. He, he, he gets everything right. He puts everything into context in terms of his approach to things and... You know, he's, he's, I believe him when he says what he says. He's not bothered. He doesn't need that headache. He doesn't need that pressure. He doesn't want it. He's never had it, so he doesn't He doesn't want it. You know what I mean? He's succeeded wherever he's been, uh, whether it's Yokohama or, or in Australia or in or in Scotland with Celtic. Um, you know, he's done things on a, on a budget how he wants. Yeah, he's, the budget gets a bit bigger when you're at Spurs, but when you're Chelsea, you, you know, you get the... The chance to sign whoever you want, and then so many managers have made it look hard, harder than it could could have been. You know what I mean? I think the key word he uses is pressure. He said that's pressure I don't need, and it puts pressure on Pochettino and makes the job a lot harder because of the money that Chelsea have spent. And as we spoke to Chaz about on yesterday's podcast, Chaz is from the Chelsea podcast, by the way, and gave an interesting account of the way the older fans kind of perceive this situation under Pochettino. I think that it is about patience, but patience and Chelsea in the last 20 years are two words that don't go together. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Um, Chelsea have made a a weird sort of um, routine that they go through, a weird sort of cycle where, you know, they they have a short term, they have a manager for the short term. Um, if they don't succeed, they sack him. And if they do succeed, they still kind of sacking when it goes downhill a bit um when when they drop off you know Avram Grant was was in charge when they got to the Champions League final wasn't he um when they won it in 2012 um sorry Di Matteo and then you know he was gone a few months later and then it was Avram Grant's been there hitting how many times has hitting been the bloody caretaker manager <laughs> I'm going to stop you there because I think we should do a flash quiz a Friday flash quiz can you between you name as many of the Chelsea managers from the Abramovich era as you can. You've already reeled off a few. I've got the list in front of me, so fire away. All right, let's go from the start. So Mourinho from the start. Ah, well, you missed one already. Ranieri. Yeah, Ranieri's the first, and then Mourinho. And then Hiddink? Hiddink's one of them, but he was further down the line. Ancelotti. Ancelotti's there, Uh, yep. Big Phil Scolari. Big Luis (laughs) Felipe Scolari. Yeah, what a legend. Vilas Boas. Vilas Boas, yeah. Di Matteo. Correct. Conte. Conte. Avram Grant. <laughs> Uncle Avram, that was the one you know you what? Underrated, underrated Chelsea manager. I can't even lie. Uncle Avram took over from Jose Mourinho. <laughs> Awful manager. Got into the Champions League final. Who's goal is it? It's your goal, Joel, isn't it? What's his name? What's the Italian fella's name? <laughs> uh, I've got him. Uh, Sari, Sari, Mauricio Sari. Yeah, Mauricio Sari, well done. And then? Uh, Tuchel. There was one in between Sari and Tuchel. Mourinho again. Frank. Frank Lampard. 
yeah, Thomas Tuchel and then Graham Potter, oh, yeah. of course. But <laughs> that's the the post Bramovich era, then then into the Bowley era. Quite a few caretaker managers as well, like Steve Holland and Bruno Salator and Ray Wilkins. But there was one manager you missed out off the list, just the one. Which year? 2012. Replaced Di Matteo after he was sacked. Is he not hitting? No. <laughs> You're obsessed with hitting. <laughs> well, because you had the job about four times. I'll put you out of your misery. It's Rafa Benitez. Oh, Rafa. Yeah, God. God, Abramovich really did just take every yeah. manager who had some prestige, didn't he? Not one manager managed to get away from that job. The mad thing is, I've got all the win percentages here as well. Roberto Di Matteo, only slightly less than Jose Mourinho had in his second time around. And Jose Mourinho went on to win the Premier League with Chelsea when he went back there. <laughs> That's such a skewed statistic. Bizarre, isn't it? Absolutely <laughs> bizarre. But let's talk about Chelsea because I spoke to Chaz about this yesterday on the podcast and about the pressure that Pochettino will be under if they keep losing games. If you look at their next few fixtures, lads, they've got Tottenham on Monday night. They've got Manchester City, Manchester United, Brighton, Newcastle, all to come in the next four or five games. I'm not saying they're not going to pick up any points, but with the fact that they're 11th in the table at the moment could be real pressure on Pochettino if they don't get any results there. I was thinking though, prior to that Brentford game, I was slightly a little bit more encouraged by them, especially against Arsenal. I know Arsenal managed to just sneak a little two-all draw at Stamford Bridge, but during that game, I saw some good things from Pochettino's team that made me think that they are on the progressive path rather than still trying to understand what kind of team they are. But then, like you've just said, to then go and lose 2-0 to Brentford straight after just shows that there's so much work that needs to be done at Chelsea. I think when uh, Nkunku actually comes back, there'll be a major change there because I still think they're quite toothless up front. And when whenever I watched him in the, the pre-season, I thought, gosh, this guy is really going to change their forward line. And then obviously he gets that horrible injury and I don't think he's going to be back until maybe December time. But like you've just said, when you've reeled off all of those fixtures, I mean, that Tottenham away uh, on Monday night, that is just going to be horrific for them because Tottenham are flying at the moment. And then obviously you've got Manchester City who are title contenders. So you might end up seeing them slowly but surely slither down the table and then like we've seen and I always mention this when Bowley first came in I wanted to see just how quick his hand could be flipped when it comes to managers and we saw that with Thomas Tuchel after what was it three games four games when he first came in charge uh, when Bowley first took over um, when Bowley first took over Chelsea and then of course Graham Potter got him on a huge contract and then suddenly he's gone after a few months so we've seen his hand now yeah uh, yeah exactly we've seen his hand we know exactly what he is which is he will sack a manager just as quickly as the Roman Abramovich era and all his people around him. So for Pochettino, I think he's less safe than, say, Ten Hag, for example, because we know what the ownership is like there, which is they're not afraid to switch and change. Maybe he's looking at the Abramovich era and thinking it works. If we can keep changing managers and we can get success, it will work because we have the money to back the manager. So let's see how it goes. Because I genuinely thought when they got Graham Potter, that was a... That was almost like a change in their philosophy of let's go with the young manager, English, we're going to build with him. Didn't work. 
they went back to typical old ways of let's get a, a you know a tried and tested manager and now he's really having difficulties with being at the club so I think it's going to be after these fixtures I would not be surprised to see massive pressure on Pochettino if they can't change their fortunes around slightly Alright well it's Chelsea against Spurs at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Monday night that should be a good one looking forward to talking about that on Monday next week and Tuesday as well. So you can catch that podcast or both of those episodes. In fact, if you hit subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast platform. Don't go anywhere for now though because we're going to talk about Arsenal and Newcastle next. Big game between those two in the Premier League this weekend coming up after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Final part of today's FSD. We're going to roll into the weekend with a bit of a chat about this weekend's Premier League fixture between Newcastle United and Arsenal. It's the half-five kickoff on Saturday, St. James's Park. Obviously, the last game at St. James's was a defeat in the Champions League, Marley. So, does this feel like a massive game in Newcastle's season? I wouldn't go that far. Not immediate thought of it, you know, because I think it's just because it was so early in the season. We don't really know what's on the line as yet. But it's definitely a test of, you know, we've seen Arsenal where they are in the last two years. I remember when they came to St. James's on the last day of the season, not last season, the season before, um, and we beat them, I think it was 2 or 3 nil. We've just walked over them. And then since then, Arsenal have been established as a top side. Um, you know, they pushed City close for the title last year. They might do it again this year. They'll be there or thereabouts until at least sort of March, you would think. So kind of like because we know that, you know, what what can you do against them? And I think our performances this season have, have proved that we can we can go toe-to-toe with most teams now. Um, you know, the, the the performance in the Champions League, the performance last night with a, well, the other night with a third string team against Man United, um, hammering them, beating Aston Villa 5-1 on the first day of the season. There's been good performances there, so it'd be a good test to see... Uh, See where Arsenal are, and Arsenal will know as well. Coming off the back of a defeat in the um, in the Carabao in the week, they're not going into this in the in the best way. So they'll know it's a big test going away to Newcastle on a Saturday night and uh, and trying to get something. So with a bit of luck, we'll uh, we can turn them over and and start pushing for that uh, that sort of top four. Yeah, I asked Marley Joel whether it was a big game for Newcastle. I guess it is in some ways bigger for the Arsenal because. They're second at the moment, two points behind Spurs, already referenced earlier on in the podcast that Arteta has labelled Spurs as title contenders. 
If Arsenal don't win against Newcastle, that means that there's still a points gap between them and Tottenham. And then if Tottenham go and beat Chelsea on Monday, that means the gap's bigger. I guess Arsenal need to win, really, to apply the pressure on Tottenham and hopefully force them into a slip-up on Monday against Chelsea. I'm not so sure about that, to be honest, because when you look at the first top... Well, you look at the, the top five at the moment, there's, what, a good four points between fifth and first. And that just shows just how competitive the top of the table is at the moment. And I think there's going to be a ridiculous amount of just changes and switches in positions. And I think regardless of if you get a defeat now, like let's say Arsenal get beat by Newcastle, there's 100% chance that the likes of Spurs and City will drop points again because there's just so much competition right now. No, I, I can't agree with that because Manchester City, if you look at the fixtures just based off this weekend purely, Liverpool are three points off the top. They've got Luton. They'll win that. Manchester City have got Bournemouth. They'll win that. Arsenal against Newcastle and Spurs against Chelsea. They're the two toughest fixtures. Villa have got Forest, so they may well win and go up to 25 points. So I actually think those two games, Arsenal, Newcastle and Tottenham, Chelsea, are bigger than maybe people are giving them credit for. But when you look at Arsenal's fixtures compared to, for example, Man City, after this Bournemouth game, they've got the likes of Chelsea, Liverpool, Tottenham, Aston Villa. Each team in the next five games have got some really testing fixtures. Obviously, it's important to always win your next game, but obviously it's not always possible. And when you look at the points that have been dropped recently, I think even City, I know that they usually start quite slow anyway, but the fact that they've already lost two games so far in the season pretty much just shows to me that there is going to be plenty more points to be dropped by all of these teams. You don't want to let the likes of City start getting on a bit of a gallop at this stage of the season. But even with Spurs, I feel like even if they were to go five points clear, they'll be catchable at some point. I don't know how genuine their threat is at the moment. I'm trying to understand just how much they can keep up this momentum. I think we'll see in the next few games because they've got, obviously, that Chelsea game's massive and a few more testing fixtures to come. But I think for Arsenal, the fact that they almost defeated that hoodoo of not being able to beat Man City a few weeks ago and then just getting really good results, obviously, that 2 all draw at Stamford Bridge, I think, regardless... They'll see this fixture against Newcastle no, undoubtedly is a very difficult fixture, but I don't think it's the be and end all of their, the next few weeks. Arsenal against Newcastle then this weekend. We'll be back on Monday to dissect all of the Premier League action across the weekend, particularly the things that wind us up with Get In The Sea, which is our usual Monday feature. So go and check that out by hitting subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts. These two boys, well, I guess Joel will be in bed the whole weekend by the sounds of it, still recovering from his trip to Barcelona. But Marley, will you be gracing the Sunday league pitch again? Yep, we've got a, well, weather providing. It's a big uh, big question this week. But yeah, we've got a Manchester County Cup game this weekend against uh, Sale United. So Derby day. Yeah. Is it? Derby. I don't know. I don't have Is a clue. It? Well, no. <laughs> Everyone's a Derby in the Manchester County Cup, Joe. No, this this is the furthest team away we can play. So we're in, we're based in Ashton. So, well, sort of. Um, and yes, yeah, sales all the way around the M60. So this is this is a European game for us. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's it for FSD. We'll catch you again on Monday. See you then. Football Social Daily is a Voice Work Sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.